you got a Bible, go to Mark chapter 2. We made it to chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I am skipping one story where Jesus heals a paralytic. Um, sorry. Um, it wasn't that there wasn't really good stuff to learn in there. Um, it's just he does that a few more times, and we'll, we'll pick up on some of the stuff that's in there. Today's a good story, one that's probably familiar to you guys, an action-packed story. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read it, we'll pray, and then dive in. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, so remember he was there in Capernaum, he healed everybody like almost all night long, and he goes out to a very solitary place, and then they go out and find him early the next morning, and they're like, hey, let's get back to that healing thing we were doing. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, no, I got to go to some new places. He doesn't even really give them a really good response. He just says, no, let's go somewhere else. And apparently Jesus goes out. He goes and preaches to some other places. And now he's found his way coming back to Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is Peter's hometown, uh, the house we're getting ready to hear about in the story. Uh, most scholars would say that's probably Peter's house that ends up getting the eventual hole in the roof. Here we go. So he comes back to Capernaum. And the people heard that he had come home. Again, he, last time he left, it was a bit, or last time he was there, it was a really big deal. Now word spread, hey, he's back. So many gathered, and there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, underline the uh, key word, thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking. So Jesus is reading thoughts. I love that. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone that was there, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, awesome story, one we've probably heard a few times. Let's pray and see where God will take us in it. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story, this reminder that you're the type of God who will sometimes give us what we didn't realize we needed. And Jesus, I thank you that you know exactly what we actually need. That you see us where we're at. And you meet us where we're at. But I love the fact that this story is that you don't leave us where we're at. You don't leave us on the mat that we met you on. You ask us to get up and take that mat, 
and not to go back to work. He actually told us to told this guy to go home. And I think there may be some significance in this, but Jesus, as we walk through this story, help us to see what we need to see about being the men of God you call us to be. Help us to not miss out on the first word that you said to this man laying at your feet paralyzed. You called him son. And I pray, Jesus, that every man in this room will know that that's that's what precedes healing. That's even what preceded forgiveness. Identity. Who we are in the eyes of the Father. And I thank you, Jesus, for always being the type of brother who shows us what we have in the Father. In your name, amen. All right, so let's, let's kind of walk through this a little bit. So it says, a few days later, verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2, a uh, few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come home, and they gathered there in such large, num- such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I love the fact that all this has happened in the house. It reminds me of the significance that um, our houses, our homes, guys, should be places where Jesus resides. Our homes should be places where Jesus is welcome. Our homes should be places where Jesus is lifted up. So what happens in our homes is incredibly important. Uh, the Bible says, um, or actually quoting Jesus here in the book of John, he says, the Son of Man be lifted up, he'll draw all people to himself. And so one of our calls, as I believe men, in our homes is to be the primary lifter up of Jesus. If we want our home, everybody who lives in our home, everybody resides in our home, if we want them to be, if I want our homes to be a place where Jesus is lifted up, then we have to be, I believe, the number one person who's doing that to make sure that Jesus is infiltrating every aspect, every conversation, all the things that we're doing, that Jesus is at the forefront. So Jesus is there in this house. Again, it's just every time he comes to town, it's a, it's a, it's a party. Um, it's chaos in the best way possible. Um, when Jesus comes to town. And so he's doing that here. And, and there, um, again, I think this is likely Peter's house. Um, so his family's there. Again, these are, this is not a big house, but they are packed at the seams. There's a crowd around the house, kind of peeking through windows probably. Um, just kind of close your eyes and put yourself there in the scene. So word continues to get out. And remember last time Jesus was in Capernaum, what was he doing? Healing folks. So Jesus, last time he was there, was healing folks. So like, Jesus is coming. And remember, when he left Capernaum, what did he say he had to go do? What did he say his primary purpose was? To teach. All right, so he comes back to Capernaum. He's trying to do that again. He's trying to live out his primary purpose. And he's actually there and he's teaching. But lo and behold, um, people need the healing. And they're still, they're they're like, great sermon, Jesus, but uh, my legs don't work. (laughs) And so... (laughs) They, they bring this guy, uh, verse 3 and 4. It says, some men came, bringing to him um, a man that was paralyzed, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above by digging through it and lowered the man on the mat that he was lying on. Um, one of the things that I see in this, in this story that I, I think you've probably experienced in your life is that many times life's best opportunities, like the times when you'll run into healing, the times when you'll like do the thing. I love the fact that none of these guys get mentioned by name, but I, I think if these guys were old enough to be able to share this story with their kids and then their grandkids pass it and then eventually Mark writes this account, I, I mean, and, and it actually gets in the canon of scripture, like it's not a crazy stretch of imagination to go, that was my great-great-granddad. He was one of those four guys who did that that day. To have that moment where like, because of your faith, 
it gets written down, it's passed down, and now 2,000 plus years later, a, a group of guys in McDonough, Georgia, are talking about the faith that your granddad was a part of. And what I see in this is many times, like life's greatest opportunities, they're not always obvious. You know, you show up and you're like, hey, well, there's no way for us to get this guy through. Like, it was great. We love this guy. We want to bring him healing. We want to see him get healed. Jesus obviously was doing that. But it's not obvious how he's going to get here, especially when they bump into that opposition that's right there, which is another point, is life's greatest opportunities almost always, in my experience, and if you have a different case, awesome, but life's greatest opportunities almost always flow through opposition. They almost always bump into some sort of tension, some sort of hardship. And what I found in this, and this is what led cars to be created, almost every great invention, and I think even most of the things that I would say are spiritual awakenings have all came with this common denominator. And the common denominator in breakthrough inventions and spiritual revelations, the common denominator in almost all of them are a word that we don't really like, limitations. There's, there's a limited access. There's a limitation here that these guys bump into. And what limitation does, and I think this is why God allows us to experience limitation, and he doesn't just dump out the blessing. He doesn't just pour out and make everything nice and easy and give you, he's like, you know, he gives you like the, the desk chair or, or like the desk that you have to build for your wife or the piece of furniture. And he purposely lives, leaves things out. And you're like, why is there not all the pieces of my puzzle, God? Everything isn't here the way it should be here. Or you feel like, hey, God, you've given me this big dream for this thing, but I'm dirt floor poor and I can't be able to make this happen. God, you, I feel like you're calling me to do this, but I, I don't have the wisdom and I don't have, I'm limited in the amount of resources I have. What you see over and over again is limitations are the very things that God uses to bring innovation. They're the very things that he uses for us to go, well, maybe we don't need that degree, or maybe the thing we don't need is to get bigger, faster, stronger horses. Maybe we actually need to invent a vehicle. Maybe we don't need to try to cram 700 people or 7,000 people into one room. Maybe we need to figure out how to plant churches. We need to be innovative in the way we plant churches instead of trying to build one giant six flags over Jesus. So limitations lead to innovation. And that's what we see happening here with these guys. They go up on the roof and they begin to dig through. And the truth here is sometimes the greatest things that can happen for you is to be turned away at the front door. To be able to not get into something. I know I've had plenty of that in my life. Like the front door, the door I wanted to go through in life, the easy door, the one that was like, man, that's really the, that'll get me into the place that I want to be, had that door closed. And while whatever door that may be, it may have been a door of great opportunity, it's usually a door that's wrapped with a lot of responsibility. It's usually a door that requires our sleeves to be rolled up. It's usually a door that requires our commitment to be turned up if we're going to be able to walk through it. And what I love about these guys is they realize that it's going to cost them something to get this guy here. It's going to require them, the door that they need to go through, it's going to require them to do something that's abnormal, an act of faith. And I love, if you look at Mark 2, 5, it says when Jesus saw their faith, He didn't just hear their faith. He didn't just become aware of their faith because they said it out loud. Jesus did what to their faith? He saw it, which 
all four times that faith is mentioned here in this passage, every one of the times that faith is mentioned here in this passage, it's attached to action. Something that somebody is doing. It's faith made evident by what people are actually doing with their lives. And that's what we see in these guys is they're living out the faith that they have that this guy, Jesus, we know that he's done this before and we want him to do this to our friend. We're not going to take, it's not like they're not going to take no for an answer, but they have a faith that sometimes, if I'm honest, is different than mine. Because I go through seasons in my faith, maybe like you, where if I'm one of that guy's buddies, I show up with him on the mat at the door and I get to the house and I go, hey man, it must not be God's will today. <laughs> let's, let's get you back to the house. Because, I mean, let's be honest. You get on one of those spiritual high moments, you get on one of those spiritual rolls, and what happens? You, you bump into some opposition. Or, or, you, or you feel like, hey, I need to go share my faith with this person. I need to go pray for this something. I'm going to you know, pray with my wife before bed. And then you bump into some opposition. Something that happens that's maybe awkward. Something happens that's, you know, kind of causes a little bit of like, uh. And, and those happen. And it's almost like, maybe I'm the only one who ever gets here. It's almost like, and we would probably never admit this out loud. It's almost like we are already looking for an excuse not to do it. This is hard. This is Bro, you're heavy. I don't know how heavy this paralytic guy was, but they show up. There's a giant crowd. The door is no chance we can get to this door. And I think what leads to this guy being healed is the faith of his friends. Is Jesus being able to see these guys went to unimaginable length. Even though Jesus doesn't, he, he, <laughs> he doesn't see the, the moment you know, again, I guess he is God, so he technically kind of knows all these things, but the, his eyes are not on what's happening in that moment. He's in the room. He's in the house actually preaching. But eventually, again, if these guys are digging a hole through the, through the roof, he's got dirt falling in his hair. He, he's realizing something's, okay, wow, something's happening. And, 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 and a where, where the, the darkness of the roof, eventually there's a, a peep of light that starts coming through. And, 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 and over the, the hole, you start to see some guys peeking down and Jesus is lifting up. It's like the world's greatest sermon uh, interruption. The more I read scripture, the more I can't get away from this. The way that I have seen and realized and come to know and understand that I've actually accepted forgiveness, like it's not something that's just out there, but I've really actually accepted this forgiveness that Jesus offers. The sign that I've accepted forgiveness is repentance. What did he tell the guy to do? Get up, take your mat, and go home. It even implied this like directional change. Like you got here and you came to me paralyzed. I told you I'm forgiving you and eventually he goes on to heal him. And then what does he do? He goes back a 180-degree direction, but completely transformed. So the sign that you've actually accepted forgiveness is you actually begin to repent, which is wild because most of the time we bump into our, you know, our recurring sins that you commit in your life, whether it's bad language, whether it's what you look at online, whether it's wasting your time or procrastinating or being lazy. Most of the time we bump into our perpetual sins and we just go, okay, I know I need to be forgiven of this. Jesus, please forgive me of this. I know I messed up. I feel like an idiot for that. I did that again. I told you I wouldn't. I'm sorry I told you I wouldn't, but I did it again. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And we ask for forgiveness for all of those things. And again, 
I would just say like this is this could be one of the foundational changes in your faith because m- most of the time when I just go, I realize you are capable of forgiving me of this. Most of the time, that's what's actually happening when we ask Jesus for forgiveness. We're really just saying, hey, I realize you can forgive me for this. When you know that you actually received it, it is marked by repentance. Because you're actually going, I cannot keep going this way, Jesus. I realize what you've done. I realize who you are. I realize I'm a son and I'm repenting and I'm turning away from the sin. And you tell me, and again, this is you know, adding stuff that's not in this story, but we eventually find through what Paul tells us. I have been, my flesh has been crucified and the power of sin in my life is dead. Dead. And so I, I repent of this. I turn away from this because this is not who I am anymore. I'm not just a, a bad person trying to not do bad anymore. I'm, a, I'm someone who has been made new in Christ. I'm a son. And to even take it a step further, the root word for sanctified is saint. The root word for saint is the same thing that goes along the lines of holy. That's why God can, we sound like, we think he's crazy when he says it. But when, you know, the Bible says like, be holy because your father's holy. We're like, <laughs> like that's impossible. Like you're telling me to be like God. That's, that's one of those like shoot for the rainbow and you'll land or shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars type of things in the Bible, right? No, that's like really what he's after is be holy. And he can really say be holy because he's the same God who said, if anybody has a love for the Father, love for me, then me and the Father, we come and we make a home in you. So in the same way, this story is like Jesus is in the middle of the home because Jesus is in the home, amazing thing happens. When Jesus resides and he makes a home in you, he starts to do amazing things. He starts to bring healing. He starts to bring forgiveness. And what I love about this story is he heals a man from the inside first. All the friends in the room, they're all thinking, okay, man, we got to get this guy healed so he can go back to work. He can go back to doing his things. He can be a good man. He can provide for his family. Maybe he can get a wife. I don't know. Who knows? We, that's what they're trying to get to happen in them. And Jesus realizes and understands and knows, no, 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 no. This is a man who has to receive forgiveness first. He has to be healed from the inside out first. In verse 6 and 7, obviously anytime something uh, amazing, miraculous happens, there's always going to be naysayers and haters in the room. So some of the teachers in the law, they're sitting there. And again, they didn't come to to listen to Jesus' great message. They didn't come to bring healing. They came to investigate. They came because they thought Jesus was a threat. They wanted to see if he was going to steal some of their power. Um, They are doing a really good job at using religion to control and manipulate people. And they don't want anybody to mess with their control and manipulation that they have. And many of you know this in the room. Some of you have been around churches for a long time. You've experienced this. There is no sort of manipulation like spiritual manipulation. It's some of the worst, most toxic, vile, wicked stuff. And I think there's a special place in hell for those who manipulate people and um, take advantage of people on a spiritual basis. So it says, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Jesus, here's their thoughts, it's crazy. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Now, we know, again, we're reading the story on this side of things. We know who is Jesus. He is God. <laughs> and he eventually is trying to prove that to them. And he does kind of through this story. They can't deal with this. And then eight, and eight, verses 8 and 9, immediately Jesus knew in, the, in his spirit what, what they were thinking in their hearts. 
And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? See, what he's saying here is, one of these things is provable and one of these things is not. Like if I say, get up, take your mat and walk, you can get up and walk and it's provable. But if I say your sins are forgiven, that's the weird thing about sins and forgiveness is, again, we don't really know if they're truly, that's like a hard to prove one. Like, are you forgiven or not? Well, I don't know. That's it. That happens in the kingdom of God, right? Who, who's the only person who really knows if you're truly forgiven of your sins? God, which is Jesus' whole point here. And that's what he's trying to do. Let's read verse 10 and 11, and then we'll try to make the point. Jesus says, <clears throat> but I want you to know that the Son of Man has, here's a key word in all this story. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So here, this is like the third time that word authority has showed up in what we've been reading. So we saw it first when, when Jesus was preaching Remember, he was preaching, and they were like, oh, man, this guy preaches with authority. There's authority in his word. And then when we see him cast out demons, what does he show? He shows that this guy has authority to cast out demons. When we see him heal people, he's saying this guy has authority to heal people. Now, this is the fourth thing that he showed that he's had authority over. Now, he busts on the scene. He said, I have authority to preach the word. I have authority to heal people. I have authority to cast out demons. And now he's saying, I have the authority to forgive sins. And this is the one that puts him on a fast track for crucifixion. They are okay because you can still, you can be a rabbi, preach the word really good. You can be a rabbi or a prophet or a man of God and be healing people. You can be a prophet or a rabbi and be casting out demons. But when you start saying that you have the authority to forgive people, you have now said you are God. And again, it's not what Jesus did that got him killed. It's what he said. Specifically, what he said about who he was is what got him killed. And when he says this, this again, this is what gets him on the fast track towards crucifixion. We're going to start seeing as we go through Mark, over and over again, he's going to tell people, hey, he's going to heal them. This is what just happened with the paralytic in the story before this. He heals them and he says, shut up, don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, keep this to yourself. Because he knows there's this timeline he has to stick on and he tells these guys here in this room essentially I am God you're, you're freaking out because you're saying this guy can only do only God can do what we just saw this guy do and Jesus is basically saying yep right here flesh and blood in the room with you and the guy gets up he takes his mat he walked out in full, full view of them and it amazed everybody they praised God saying we have never seen anything like this. A man who can forgive sins and be just, and a man who can heal, heal paralyzed limbs and be just as well.